This week on the Road to Cinema podcast, a conversation with screenwriter and novelist T. Raphael Chimino. We'll discuss his collaborations with Scarlett Johansson, Aaron Sorkin, and Bill Maher. He's worked on such shows as Real Time with Bill Maher, Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip, created by Aaron Sorkin, as well as the original Miami Vice. We'll also go into his collaborations with Scarlett Johansson, which include a love song for Bobby Long, Lost in Translation, Ghost in the Shell, and the upcoming adaptation of Truman Capote's long-lost novel, Summer Crossing. We'll learn how his early career in law enforcement would have an influence on his writing of both novels and screenplays, as well as how a wedding invitation from his uncle, Oscar-winning director Michael Cimino, would lead to a new development in his writing career. We'll also have a detailed discussion about his writing process, as well as working in the industry, and some exciting projects he's currently working on. For more information on the Road to Cinema podcast, please visit jogroadproductions.com. You can follow us on Twitter at jogroad, Instagram at jogroadproductions, subscribe to Jog Road Productions on YouTube to see some video interviews with Don Cheadle, Greta Gerwig, Hewan McGregor, and many more. And don't forget to subscribe to the Road to Cinema podcast on Apple Podcasts and iTunes for a new episode downloaded every week. And now we join screenwriter and novelist T. Raphael Cimino for a conversation about his early career as a writer and one of his first jobs working for Miami Vice. I was brought into a film called Spring Break in 1983 in Fort Lauderdale. Um, I was actually building boats at the time uh, in Fort Lauderdale, putting myself through college. And... uh, got hooked into this this movie and was their marine coordinator and uh, one thing led to another and uh, next thing I knew I was uh, introduced some folks uh, at uh, Michael Mann Productions uh, and um, became the marine coordinator for Miami Vice and uh, did that for 104 episodes uh, right until 1990 when the series wrapped. Wow and how did your transition into writing sort of segue from there? Um, so I always wanted to write, uh, even in high school, in college, uh, I was always leaning toward creative arts, uh, creative writing, uh, storytelling. Um, it, unfortunately, I just never took myself seriously. Uh, in 1990, when Miami Vice wrapped, I took a position as a um, uh, deputy sheriff uh, and paramedic with the Leon County Sheriff's Department in Tallahassee, Florida, working uh, uh, on their helicopter. I uh, did that for two years and then transitioned to the United States Customs Service with the Treasury Department as a federal agent. Did that, uh, taught at their academy uh, right around 1996. Uh, and then right around 1999, really had the bug to get back into film and television. Uh, by then, I had some good stories to tell. Uh, I had experienced some things. Uh, and uh, so uh, uh, in 1999, I uh, was invited to a wedding. Uh, and was seated at, at a table with some very cool people. And uh, that chance meeting changed my life. Uh, at that table was uh, my now writing partner, Shani Gabell, uh, writer-director of um, a film called uh, Love Song for Bobby Long and others. Um, yeah, great movie with John Travolta. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Scarlett Johansson and her mother were at that table. Um, I've now done uh, six projects with Scarlett. Uh, we just wrote a script together. Uh, summer Crossing, uh, and uh, so you know I've been blessed, uh, uh, and uh, that that's kind of how that transition occurred. 
That's interesting. So did you have sort of, was, was that career path originally sort of an inspiration for you to write stories, that law enforcement background? Um, it's some of it, and, and that definitely, you know, so my first book is called Mid-Ocean, and that deals with the custom service. It deals with um, you know, telling both sides of stories, the, the smuggler side and, and the, the customs agent's side, and kind of how they sometimes inter, intermingle, inter, intertwine. Uh, I was caught in the middle of a, a controversy uh, in the Florida Keys, uh, a customs supervisor by the name of Charlie Jordan, a uh, gentleman who was eventually uh, uh, indicted and uh, convicted of uh, uh, drug smuggling himself. And he was, he was the head customs uh, agent in the Florida Keys, uh, you know, charged with the uh, responsibility of enforcing the law. Uh, he uh, fled uh, prosecution or fled uh, his, his sentence and became the most wanted man in the United States for three years till he was caught uh, in, in a trailer park in Montana. Uh, uh, so, you know, these types of stories, these types of things that, you know, sounded just like a great storyline from Miami Vice were actually real life. And, you know, when I got to see them in that real life setting, that's, that's when it kind of hit me that, you know, this stuff, you know, it's not just stories. We're, we're replicating actual, uh, you know, life, life stories, as surreal as they may, may be. Um, these things are really happening. So, uh, um, yeah, I think that kind of opened my eyes to what the real world looked like. And, and the ability to kind of, you know, this, this idea of, you know, what if, what if this happens? What if that happens? You know, you look at a scenario and you say, well, yeah, but twist it just a little bit. What if this? What if that? And, and that kind of opens up this, this, you know, some people call it a Pandora's box, but this, yeah. you know, this, this, this uh, flood of ideas and, and direction where we can take stories. Yeah. But even understanding sort of, you know, how different people would react in certain situations, having that real life grounding there. I think that's so important as a writer to know how people interact, how people talk. Yeah, I mean, writing, you know, half of writing is experience, I think. Um, and, and the other half is trying to imagine experience and, and, and trying to connect the two. And, uh, um, you know, it doesn't happen overnight. I mean, you know, I, I really started taking this seriously right around 1999. And here we are, 2017, and and I'll let you know when I got it figured out. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's there, there's still a lot of stuff to yeah. a, lot, a lot of dots to connect. Uh, I've still got a long way to go. Um, you know, I'm, I'm proud of some of the stuff that I've done, uh, but you know, we're just getting warmed up. So, um, you know, I, I talk to you know, uh, budding screenwriters all the time, and and they they their first question is, you know, what do I do? What do I, you know, I said grab everything you can read watch every you know i'll give you an example the uh give a plug darren sorkin and his master class you know 99 bucks um and, and i mean i signed up for it i loved it I, I i got a little bit out of it i thought it was a good program uh yeah. you know oh, you worked for aaron uh, i did on studio 60 and um yeah, I have n nothing but yeah, utmost respect for the the man, uh, and I wanted to see his 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 master class. Um, and yet, you know, it's funny because I, I talked to some of these young screenwriters, and you know, they seem like they got it all figured out. And then there's some that are like, you know, they're so hungry for information, and then you kind of kind of tell at that point in time who's going to make it and who's not. Right. You know, it it you really it, this is what you're going to do. You really need to investigate. You need to read, grab everything that you can, absorb everything that you can. Uh, you know, the key in this industry is learning from other people people's mistakes and uh, that's what I'm trying to do uh, trying to watch analyze uh, and uh, you know move forward without making the same mistakes that other people have made you've been credited on a lot of films as a story editor or yeah. some may even call it a ghostwriter I know lots of translation yeah. you worked on 
Yeah, so okay. Lost in Translation was my first film out of the box uh, in that, you know, from 1999. Um, so from that, uh, that, that time, two films were kind of on my palate. Uh, Love Song uh, for Bobby Long and, and Lost in Translation. Lost in Translation, um, you know, my my key position was probably fly on the wall, if I was to, to give a, an accurate yeah. description. Uh, but, you know, I, I was able to participate and able to uh, uh, feel that rush of somebody accepting your idea and listening to what you have to say and, and, and modifying this or changing that. And, and that, you know, that gives you a lot of confidence to be able to move forward and to be able to trust your own creative process. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, I mean, Lost in Translation will always be a very close film to my heart because of that. And uh, uh, working with some of the greatest filmmakers and storytellers in the world. Um, and, uh, you know, working with, in my opinion, one of the greatest actresses in the world, Scarlett Johansson. Uh, Bill Murray, uh, without a doubt, one of the greatest actors ever. Uh, now lives three hours away from me. Yeah. Good guy. And, uh, uh, you know, but, but you learn a lot from these people. And, and, and you know, once you open those receptors and you're uh, in, in a position to receive information rather than dictate information, uh, you're in a really good place. And, and in this industry, that's, that's probably one of the key elements to, to success. On a film like Lost in Translation, what were some of the contributions you were able to, to make on it? Um, again, you know, my, my job title was more fly on the wall, but, you know, angles, uh, uh, dialogue, um, uh, conflicting issues with uh, shooting locations. Uh, you know, there are a lot of shooting location issues uh, when that film was shot. Um, um, you know, a lot of that stuff was done on the fly, done without permit. I mean, there was, there were, you know, but um, uh, really finding I, solutions. To exactly, like putting out up. fires. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, um, connecting dots, uh, being resourceful. You know, in this business, being resourceful is probably the most important thing that that you, that you can do, especially you know if, if you decide to go down the production route. You know, as far as yeah. a producer goes, uh, resourcefulness, uh, being able to uh, uh, find assets that you need on the fly. I mean, that's that's uh, definitely was something uh, that that uh, helped everyone on the set. Uh, well, working with, uh, you mentioned Aaron Sorkin before, mm -hmm. so how did that come about working on Studio 60? Because I think that's a very underrated show and should have yeah. been given more of a you're chance. Not, you're not there. the only one. Uh, so um, at the time, I had an agent by the name of Neil Bagg. Um, he has since passed away. Uh, probably one of the greatest agents in, in Los Angeles. Uh, he was with uh, Don Buckwald uh, at that time. Don Buckwald part, uh, partnered with Fortitude. Uh, they were, uh, I guess, a, a second or third tier agency here in L.A. Um, but, um, uh, you know, was it the right right room at the right time? Uh, and started talking, and, you know, uh, next thing I know, I'm uh, uh, in a writer's room. You know, that's pretty much how it happened. So what were some of the uh, sort of big picture things that you learned being with Aaron Sorkin and, and working with him in that environment? Um, so... One of the biggest challenges you have when working with someone like Aaron Sorkin is trying to figure out what Aaron Sorkin is trying to say. So um, trying to trying to uh, parallel his thought process is, is an exceptionally difficult task for someone that's working with, with him because he, he thinks on such a different level. Um, 
you know, um, just when you think that you're smart and just when you think that you have, you know, got it all figured out, um, you know, he walks in the room and, um, you know, his brilliance just completely floors you. Uh, and um, so, uh, you know, it's like trying to jog next to an Olympic runner. And uh, it's uh, at times, uh, you know, a dauntless task. Uh, Did he have an idea for the entire season? Um, uh, yeah, so I, I, I dealt more with Tommy Schlamme, uh showrunner, uh, in the beginning. Uh, we had kind of an idea of where this was going to go. Um, you know, originally they had plotted out three, uh, three seasons. So, um, you know, in all fairness, season one was pretty much a setup for, you know, what was, what was to happen down the road. Now, a lot of uh, episodes, uh, seven, I'm sorry, uh, the last seven episodes were actually changed and curtailed when, uh, uh, you know, it was announced that the, the, you know, the season or the uh, series was going to be cut. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, and, and, and as always, big pictures change. Um, but, uh, um, you know, the idea, obviously, was uh, to try to replicate the chaos that occurs uh, in the, in the seven-day time period between, you know, uh, uh, showtime and, you know, literally uh, the clock starts ticking the minute yeah. that the credits roll uh, for the next week's show. And um, uh, Was there a lot of research into how a show like Saturday yeah, Night Live yeah, would it, exactly, come Exactly. So um, we all did our own bit of research uh, into Saturday Night Live, um, into the Second City guys, um, and uh, Mad TV. Uh, you know, there was all, it wasn't just Saturday Night Live. Um, one of the things that really drew me to that is, you know, one of my lifelong um, ambitions, and this is obviously when I was younger, was to, to be a writer on Saturday Night Live and to be involved in that program. It's never happened, but, um, you know, uh, that, you know, when I was younger, that was something I had always wanted to do. So when Studio 60 um, came along, that was, uh, you know, excellent opportunity to try to fulfill some type, you know, some part of that uh, that uh, fantasy dream, if you, you know, if you will. Yeah. But you did have the opportunity to work on another comedy show, which is Real Time with Bill Maher. Yeah, but uh, so real. Yeah, I did two years with Real Time, and Real Time is. Um, um, so I'm not I'm not per se a comedy writer, um, and that's not necessarily what I did for Real Time. Real Time for me was more of a, a you know a research. Uh, um, uh, background, um, uh, policy development, policy uh, translation, um, and trying to fulfill an overall theme of, um, you know, policy description, policy uh, forecasting, kind of where, where we're going with, uh, you know, at that time, you know, Barack Obama was the president. And, and, you know, 2012, early months of 2012, um, you know, there were a lot of things going on in, in the Obama administration, good and bad. And, um, uh, you know, I was involved in the 2008 Obama campaign, uh, you know, knew some of the inner workings of, of, of how some of those uh, senior uh, policymakers uh, operated. And... Uh, uh, again, connecting the dots, telling the story 
you know, without trying to put too much of a slant on it. You know, the slant with real time is, is a comedic slant. Um, and, and it's all designed so that the, uh, the viewer can take from it, you know, their own impression. Uh, you know, we're not trying to make anyone's mind up for them. We're trying to tell a story. We're trying to uh, report the news um, in a way that people can swallow it, that people can swallow who would normally watch a political show. Um, you know, uh, same with Jon Stewart, you know, um, yeah. other successful uh, storytellers um, um, in, in that in that genre. Um, so um, to me, it's probably one of the most important things that, uh, that I have been involved in and uh, uh, will always cherish, cherish that time. Have you used that political background that you have in terms of writing scripts that are politically minded or? Um, so yeah, I'm doing a package right now called Battle of Angels and it deals with small town politics um, but dissecting the political mind, dissecting the you know political narcissism that's involved with running for office and, and, and this type of thing. Um, and that, that package is in strong development right now. Um, there'll be a novel and then there'll be a, a script as well. Um, so yeah, um, you know, trying to tell the big picture on a small stage, um, you know, one of the, so Tennessee Williams wrote a, uh, wrote a play called Orpheus Descending and that's kind of the theme of Battle of Angels. Battle of Angels is actually the original name of that play. Um, and this takes place in small town Florida. Um, so what we're trying to do is tell national stage issues on a local level so that people can kind of digest it and say, well, I know someone like that, you know, the, the town idiot. Everyone, every, every town's got one. The town sheriff yeah. who, who <laughs> thinks he runs everything, everybody's life, you know, every, every, every small town has one. Uh, you know, the fill in the blank, you know, I mean, we have a dozen different characters that pretty much anyone can look at these characters and say, hey, I know that person. They live right down the street from yeah. me in, 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 in their own small town. So, you know, by creating that connectivity, you can tell a bigger picture. You can kind of, you know, when they look at these events on a, on a national stage, they can uh, kind of relate. And, and that's, that's our job as writers is to get people to relate. Uh, to the scenario that we're trying to paint, whatever it might be. You talked a little bit before about you know working on Lost in Translation and a love song for Bobby Long and coming onto the projects as being sort of a facilitator and a problem solver. So when you're working in that type of role, are you sort of trying to sort of predict what the director, what the producers want in terms of what they are trying to solve in terms of script problems? And yeah, so, um, you know, even Ghost in the Shell, I think you were. You yeah, were I was well. starting editor for Ghost yeah. in the Shell. Ghost in the Shell was more of a legal, um, I don't say battle, but a challenge. So, um, you know, there Ghost in the Shell are legal conformity issues, and that that was more of of my wheelhouse uh, for, for that project. Um, and keep in mind, I, you know, I was never a fan of anime. I was, you know, really didn't know a whole lot about that world. Um, totally a fish out of water when it comes to the storyline and these types of things but I can look at the original um, um, scenario and and try to um, 
follow our, our legal considerations and, and what um, we can and can't do and, and trying to um, pay homage to that franchise, which is basically what, what that, that project did. So, um, you know, and that in itself is its own tap dance. I mean, um, that, that had some definite challenges. Another project you were working on with Scarlett Johansson, which I think was supposed to be her uh, directorial debut, Summer Crossing, I'm, which was sort of a lost yeah. novel of Truman Capote. Exactly. So, so that's my yeah. that that to me is, you know, we've had some roadblocks with with Summer Crossing. Um, in the last since February, I think we've made more progress with Summer Crossing than has been accomplished in the last seven years since this thing was originally floated um as far as the idea to, to do it um the script was completed on the 7th of february um i should say the, the second revision um and I, you know i still can't believe that um you know this script is is done and it and looks as good as it does um it, it's, it's a great script it's a great story um, we've taken a novella that technically really wasn't finished yet. Yeah. And it was fascinating because Truman Capote had sort of kept the... He didn't want anyone to see it. Hidden. He never so, published so, it. Yeah, so he didn't want anyone to see it. Yeah. Uh, he had literally put it under his mattress. Hmm. Uh, it was discovered after he passed away by a housekeeper. Uh, the housekeeper held onto it for a while. But then I guess she turned it over to the family who turned it over to the Truman Capote Trust, which back is right here in Los Angeles. Um, so, um, again, more challenges because, um, the trust has to approve everything that we do. Um, that's, that's our legal, uh, confinement, if you will. Um, yeah. those are our boundaries. Um, they're, they're set by, by the trust. Um, you know, the original production company that was pushing this is, is completely out. Um, and uh, a new production company is, is taking over. I, I can't say who that is right now, but um, uh, we're making making uh, you know, strides. Um, I I tell you, Summer Crossing uh, is, is going to be a great film. Um, it's just sometimes these things take a long time. Love Song for Bobby Long took almost six years. So this is the nature of making movies. It's it totally not an is. Overnight, uh, it, you know, it's 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 part of the independent development process, yeah. and the, and you know, true art. Yeah, true. Art, you know, listen, I, some of the stuff that's out there. You know, yeah, it's scheduled. You know, start to finish in nine months. <laughs> yeah, that's that's not the kind of stuff that I want to be attached to. It, it you know, this the summer crossing is is my wheelhouse. Um, yeah. And I got to tell you, you know, Truman Capote was a true master, probably one of the greatest writers that uh, the cent you know the 20th century has ever seen. Uh, to be doing this work and to be um, uh, doing this movie is, you know, it's a dream come true. What has some of uh, your work for HBO, how has that influenced you as a writer, has, being on sort of the other side of the table? Yeah, so way? HBO, um, you know, I, went, I just, uh, went to feature side after Bill Maher after 2014. And that's been, you know, not as fast as I would have liked. Um, you know, I've got some, some projects on my palette. Um, you know, one of the things that... Um, has has just come about is the Fleetwood Mac biopic, that's uh, uh, gaining steam. Uh, another is Lesser Endeavors, the slave pick, uh, and you know those are those are two primary projects that uh, are, are are being developed in, you know in conjunction with HBO. Um, both solid solid projects. 
uh, you know, the slave pick, uh, the story of a um, real-life slave lived in uh, Charleston, South Carolina, was a self-taught physician, helped save the Charleston colony during the, the plague of uh, the mid-1700s. True story, you know, but like some of our black history, it got buried, uh, you know, and uh, so we've unearthed it and uh, a lot of research, a lot of trips to South Carolina, um, actually walked the grounds of the plantation that Caesar lived on and, uh, and, and that script is completed. Um, you know, like, uh, it, it's uh, going on to the next level and uh, uh, we're, we've got, you know, great, great hopes for that. Uh, the Fleetwood Mac project is, is, is a baby right now. Uh, it's, uh, you know, it was, this, this project was attempted once in 2013. Uh, there were issues. Uh, I think a legal collision of, of ideas and creative processes and, you know, just the stuff that happens. Yeah, when a lot of really talented uh, but very powerful people try to do things and, you know, it's, it becomes an elevator fight. And, uh, you know, uh, we're going to try it again. And uh, uh, I think uh, I think we're hopefully going to be uh, successful with this. Um, I think the Fleetwood Mac story, you know, starting with a couple of teenagers that enter a band that's uh, already up and up and uh, you know running, uh, you know, to me is is a is a story of you know, it's a love story. Uh, it's it's a story of conflict. It's a story of um, uh, confusion. Story of growth. Uh, you know, Fleetwood Mac has got an amazing amazing arc as a as a as a social movement, as a band, their music and the people, uh, you know, uh, just a collective group of incredible people. And, and I, I'm just honored to be able to tell that story. It's interesting um, from talking to you, you know, writing, well, a lot of people don't realize screenwriting in particular, it's, some of it is writing, but other parts of it are, you know, what you talked about legal issues or logistical things. I mean, how important is it for you to understand how the business functions and uh, in terms of, you know, developing your career? Yeah, so, um, you know, the, the legal side of it is um, because we deal, because I deal with a lot of topics that uh, are very legal in, in nature, true stories, um, you know, stuff dealing with customs agents that were arrested and, uh, you know, band members that hated each other at times and these types of things, you know. Uh, the legal side, you know, the, the hardest thing that a writer has to do is to write the best, you know, rift of, of, of dialogue and then get a red X through it because it doesn't conform to legal process. So, yeah. f you know, to avoid that shock or that pain, you know, I, I go into it kind of knowing what the goals have got to be and what our borders are, what our boundaries are, what we can do and what we can't do, what we can talk about, what we can't talk about, um, you know, where we've got to be vague and where we can be specific. So, um, you know, another project, uh, this is a personal project of mine, something that I'm pushing on my own, uh, trying to find funding for, um, you know, going back two years, um, I had the, uh, able to meet a brilliant young woman, a singer by the name of Christina Grimmie at a NBC party and just was very moved by her attitude and her, just her approach to life and approach to people and, um, you know, she uh, was part of a, the TV show The Voice. It came in second, I believe. Uh, she was runner-up for the for the winner. 
in June, a year ago this last June, she was murdered uh, while singing her last concert, uh, shot in cold blood. Um, and, you know, this really just, just touched me. Uh, I've since met her parents, become friends with her parents, and uh, we've all decided that, listen, we're going to do whatever it takes to, to tell this story. And, uh, but there's some legal considerations there. You know, we've got someone who's, um, you know, who, who, who actually pulled the trigger. Uh, you know, there's some things that we can say. There's some things we can't say. Yeah. Um, and, and so we have to tap dance around some of these issues while at the same time telling a very compelling story. Um, you know, and that's, that in itself is, is, you know, like I said, it's a tap dance. It's, uh, uh, because, you know, emotionally, you know, there's some things you want to say. Uh, and uh, at the end of the day, you just can't. Uh, and so, um, you know, these are some of the roadblocks that we run into with, with trying to uh, uh, trying to tell the story. Um, you know, the Christina Grimmy thing, you know, is is just. I think about it. I, you know, my wife can tell you, uh, uh, just something that just really touched me. And 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 so, you know, every writer, you know, deals with those projects. You know, and um, and I don't know how long it's going to take, but you know, we're definitely going to tell that story. Um, well, lastly, I was curious about mentors and influences on you as a writer. Um, even being, your, you know, your uncle Michael Cimino or yeah. other people that have come across you in your well, life. Well, my really you know, my uncle was the reason I was at that wedding. <laughs> so he was oh, that wedding where Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, was, so he uh, was invited to the wedding. Um, you know, Sofia Coppola and. Um, uh, Spike Jones's wedding. He was invited. He was put at a table that was like right up front, and he sent a note saying, you know, that in his, you know, antisocial uh, uh, character, uh, he's, you know, that he just wasn't feeling well, didn't want to go. Da da da. Would he mind if his nephew went? And uh, so uh, I said, sure. So they they kind of moved me to the table nineteen. Okay. Wow. And uh, at that time, the table nineteen was occupied by Melanie Sloan. Scarlett Johansson, you know, and Shani Gabell, uh, and Shani's husband, uh, and um, uh, Ed Wall. And so, you know, greatest thing that ever happened. You know, it's, it's amazing how life is like that. If you, if he didn't go to the wet, you know, if he went to the wedding and, and things you know, would, who, who knows, <laughs> you know, I might still be chasing drug smugglers in a, you know, in a customs boat. Who knows? Um, yeah. So, yeah, things happen, you know, it's just amazing um, the way they happen. And, and you go back and you look back and you dissect these times, these, these slivers of life that, that just kind of set us on, on a particular course, good and bad, you know. I mean, uh, but uh, definitely changed my life, and, uh, and I'm thankful. Uh, mentors, um, Sofia Coppola. Uh, without a doubt, um, Scarlett Johansson and her mother, uh, Melanie Sloan, probably one of the one of the greatest managers in this town. Uh, although she only managed one client, uh, she did a hell of a job. Uh, I have a, a lot of love and a lot of uh, uh, respect for Melanie Sloan. Um, my my former agent, uh, Neil Bag, uh, probably one of the greatest souls, greatest hearts that this town has ever seen. And the funny thing is, you know, we were in a lunch meeting on Saturday and mentioned Neil's name, and, God, people started crying, and it was just, you know, I mean, they just, it's just hard to find, you know. some. I mean, there's some good agents out there, but 
you know, finding someone that's not a shark, that's a dolphin. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, that was Neil. Having he, someone who is uh, a great, you know, representative of you as a writer, what can that well, do to your career? In oh, it's everything. Yeah. You know, it's everything. So um, representation, um, well, it's, you know, it's a partnership. You yeah. know, I mean, if they represent you and you can't conform to what you've been represented to be able to do, you know, you're going to fall flat on your face. So it, it is definitely a partnership. But uh, uh, having adequate representation, realistic representation, um, but, you know, having a, a manager also that, that'll give you the guidance that, uh, you know, I mean, one, one manages, uh, uh, you know, your, your career path. The other one actually manages your career, shapes you, yeah. develops you. And, uh, you know, that's that, that very important, uh, having people in your corner. Um, got a you know great great lawyer a guy by the name of Jay Shanker who um, was brought to me by another person who's probably done more for me and mentoring uh, Nick Cassavetes uh, uh, great great person in this town uh, descendant of Hollywood royalty yeah. John Cassavetes son exactly yeah. uh, and um, so you know, uh, Nick had done a film called Yellow and uh, met this attorney that just was a gifted guy that uh, was just, I mean, the guy's just an amazing guy. Um, he's been working with me now for about two years, and uh, uh, I, uh, Jay Shanker's a good guy. Uh, I, I I owe a lot to him. Uh, well, uh, last of all, I was just curious, yeah. uh, your day as a writer, when you know that you're going to be dedicated to you have a whole day you have a whole day to write how do you organize that day wow um i can't write without music so um you know i usually um find something to listen to um sometimes I, i'll take my boat out uh we live on the lake norman in north carolina which you can't find a better place to write uh and I, do you I'm, enjoy being out of la to write in a way i don't or? i don't I, God, I hope I don't get <laughs> get slammed for this, but I'm not a big fan of L.A. Um, I, I live in North Carolina um, for a couple of different reasons, several different reasons. Um, I just I just enjoy the lifestyle. It's more comfortable for me. Um, I mean, we have bad traffic there too, so it's not you know everyone says, oh, well, yeah, it's got to be the traffic. No, we have bad traffic there too. Um, the climate's great. Uh, you know, it's a great place to live. Um, you know, the cost of living is considerably less. In this business, um, you know, I've learned that it's not how much money you make in the entertainment business, it's how much money you keep. <laughs> and in L.A., that's kind of hard to do, especially as a writer. I mean, you know, we're not in that top tier of earners in, in this industry. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I enjoy working in North Carolina. Um, I find it very, very soothing. Um, it puts me in, in, in the mental state that I need to be in. Um, you know, someone asked me once about writer's block and I just, it's just not something that I encounter. Um, I, I'm just, I'm channeled. Um, you know, I, I don't, um, so you never get distracted during the day. Oh, I get way. distracted all the time. Yeah. Um, but that's where the music comes in. So, you know, if, if I can, you know, get away from people and, and get, you know, get away from the phone 
and and just listen to to my music my headphones and just kind of go into that world and uh you know that's that's what works for me being on my boat helps um it's it's a it's an isolating uh tactic if you will um but i do i i do different things sometimes i'll you know sometimes i'll go to an airport and uh just sit uh, you know on this side of the security thing obviously but uh you know the airport is is kind of a funny place because I grew up with something called Asperger's. So, you know, I am naturally predisposed to be distracted. And that's just in my, that's in my DNA. It's in my mental architecture. So, you know, going to the airport, um, there's so much busy energy and busy people, uh, you know, social things going on that it forces me to kind of compartmentalize and, and kind of sink into my own world, put my headphones on and, and uh, you know, I, I can do that. I can do that in a busy mall, and and, I, and it's hard to explain, but it, it's just something that works. Um, my wife likes to shop sometimes. Go figure. And so, uh, uh, you know, when she's shopping, you know, I'm sitting uh, usually in the mall in a very busy area and and working. Uh, so, um, you know, you have to change it up. And yeah. I get really stale really easy. So, so you're not someone who likes to sort of go in the corner on a desk and I can't do that. that. Type of thing. I've got a desk. I've got a nice corner. I've got you know screens on the wall that have all my news feeds and everything going on. I've got like the the, the dream office, but yeah. I don't spend a lot of time there. I can't get a lot of stuff done there. I'll go there and do my taxes, but I won't <laughs> go there and like you know. Um, uh, try and write. I, I, I just, I, I really need to change it up. And sometimes, you know, like um, this year, uh, um, I'm attached to a project in Paris called Melitus Christi. It's a, a TV series. And because of that project, I, I've been to Europe five times since February. So I've had a lot of good airport time. I've had a lot of time, you know, riding in Berlin, riding in UK, riding in Paris. Um, uh, we were in Bulgaria for almost four weeks and got a lot of stuff done there. So changing it up for me, going into kind of a new place and just kind of finding my comfortable spot and doing my thing there, that, that definitely uh, helps. Um, well, thank you so much for taking the time today. Really oh, thank you, it. Jeff. It's good to meet oh, you, man. Nice to thank meet you, you, sir. Thanks for listening to the Road to Cinema podcast. And remember, you can follow T. Rafael Chimino on Twitter and Instagram at T. Rafael Chimino. We'll see you next time.